consistent self-improvement everybody you are now listening to american gypsy podcast i am your host classic and i'm here with my co-host gypsy and today we have don gatewood he is the co-founder and ceo of the initiative baltimore a professional leadership consultant and the host of leadership and professional development with don gatewood welcome to the show Don. welcome well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me this evening. I'm super excited. It's a pleasure Glad having to have you. you. So to, to get started off for, you know, me and my listeners, I'd like to ask um, where, you know, tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you born originally and, you know, where do you live? Where are you now? Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. I was there for basically 30 years of my life, went to Wayne State University, which is in Detroit, went to DPS and also went to school a little bit outside of Detroit as well. Um, spent most of my earlier professional years out of college in the city, um, you know, bought my first home there. Uh, definitely just a, a Detroiter, a huge Detroit Pistons fan, even the Detroit Lions fan who they cannot seem to win a football game, but I'm still a fan. <laughs> but, you know, since then, I did decide I wanted to move and try a different a city and see how that would work out for me professionally. And it led me to the Washington DC area. And I've been here for gosh, 12 years time is flying when you have fun, but I've continued my career path. What I started in Detroit, I have always been in the nonprofit field. It's been an area that I've been so passionate about my entire life. And it has led to a great amount of personal success, but I also feel like I've been able to impact some really amazing initiatives. So that's a little bit about me. Okay. So what was one of the, um, I guess, before we jump into what you do all the way, um, right. I try to learn a little bit about where you're from or, or different places myself. I, I think I've, I went to Detroit when I was in high school it was for mm -hmm. the 100 black men um, convention. And we got a chance to go to, I think like my first major league baseball game or something like that, but don't quite remember too much about the city. I right. have lived in, um, DC before and, you know, Alexandria, what was one of the biggest differences um, when you transitioned from Detroit to DC? What was the, you know, the, one of the differences in that you noticed? Gosh, there's quite a few differences between Washington DC and Detroit. I mean, first Detroit is like motor city, literally Chrysler Ford GM. So the whole like industry, the main professional career path, or the biggest one, I the automotive industry and all of the things that surround automotive industry. So it's more blue collar okay. and that's kind of the spirit is an older town and it gives that that blue collar Midwestern feel. Whereas with DC, it's a very vibrant town that's very international with so many people who aren't necessarily born and raised in DC, but they've come from all over the, the country, all over the world. A lot of politics focused, a lot of just people looking to to move forward and to be impactful in their careers. So a lot of folks just moving and shaking and really trying to just, you know, be out there. And so it, it feels different because the people are transient, they're in and out. A lot of politics, a lot of young folks and a lot of just aggressive people who come from all over to make their home in D.C. So it, it feels super different um, in that way. Um, you know, with Detroit, I mean, it just felt like home. People were, most of them were born and raised there, a certain level of community, familiarity, and uh, just a little bit more down-homeness, realness, dare I say, in Detroit. And um, in, in D.C., I, I don't know that I, I feel quite the same. 
But I definitely will say that it's a lot of uh, super impressive people in D.C. I, I'll certainly say that. Um, I guess to, just to even skip over, I know one of the shocks that when we left, we came from Atlanta to um, D.C. and the homelessness was a little bit of a shock. We're in L.A. now. We've seen the homelessness. I don't know, like I said, too much about the city of Detroit. Was mm-hmm. was that a shock to you when you got to D.C.? Right. Or well, is- I will admit that the homelessness issue in D.C., it is it's still a major issue. I okay. think it used to be bigger back in the day, though, because the conversation that I used to hear about is that the people who were without a home or living with homelessness kind of would be all over the city and you would see it just everywhere. But I think what ended up happening was they created spaces where, you know, people who are living with homelessness would be in. So you don't see it as much spread throughout the city is more in pocketed areas and they kind of encourage people to be in certain spaces so that it doesn't look so widespread. So that's one of the big things you will see in DC, uh, but definitely homelessness, it, it did it did exist in Detroit for sure. Uh, but I, I will say you do see it a lot in Washington, DC. They've tried to grapple with the problem, but it, it still exists. In fact, I was I went to the Kennedy Center the other day to see this Alba Ailey play and man it was a whole community of, mm. of tents um right near the Kennedy Center and it, it was it was very uh, mind-blowing to see how organized it was it was it was something else okay but that's not something that's of like Detroit as far as that's the city yeah, of Detroit mean, doesn't have yeah. anything nearly like that does or or Right. Because like I say, I don't know anything about the city of Detroit. I was yeah, I, I, def- yeah I definitely think the homelessness, it, it, it exists, but it, it does look different. It does look different in Detroit. Absolutely. I feel like there's more shelters. I feel like it just looks different. It, like all of the tents, it's not the same setup as in D.C. It's very unique what it looks like in D.C. You see huge tents, huge, like almost like trailer park communities in certain areas of the city where it's just a whole community of people who are all living with homelessness together in one space. So it, it's, yeah. it's real unique in that way. Because, you know, like I said, Los Angeles was a different level for us. You know, we got an experience mm-hmm. of it in D.C. to see it. And, you know, OK. And then right. When it got to Los Angeles, like I said, it was a different level. So I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Those, those levels. So what what made you get into a nonprofit? So nonprofit is, gosh, it is it is truly my, my passion. First off, I of course, I am a co-founder and a CEO of a nonprofit called the Initiative Baltimore. And we work with uh, young men. Our goal is to help them create the next generation of leaders. So we work with young men who are at middle school and high school, and that's been an amazing initiative with amazing impact and results. But for me, it didn't start with this initiative. It started about 20 years ago, right after college. I graduated Wayne State, you know, had pledged Alpha. I know what it was. I pledged Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, 06. And uh, they told me, like, you have to get involved with the community immediately as soon as I crossed. And so I was like, I'm just going to do big brothers, big sisters. So I got a little and I started being a big brother for him. So that was my first introduction, real introduction to nonprofit. Then when I graduated, I started working at a girl's home. Young girls, beautiful, amazing, had been removed from their homes. Challenges that were many of us would never, you know, experience and just some of it horrific, really. And what I learned from that experience is that there are so many people in this world who got so many barriers and challenges. And sometimes when we see folks, we we just look at what we see, but we don't know what led to the circumstance, whether it's homelessness, whether it's a person who 
you know, is in a girl's home, whether it's someone who got all these issues, mental health, uh, different diseases, different issues, you know, um, that our community face. Sometimes we don't always realize the impact that those can have on our community. So after working at that girl's home, I said, wow, I like doing work that has an impact. I like working with folks and people and organizations where there's an issue, there's a circumstance that, quite frankly, I have a problem with. And I get a chance to work on that issue to help eliminate it or at least make it better or resolve the issue. And so that mindset is one that I developed right after college and is one that still motivates me even to this day. So for someone um, like someone that hasn't created a uh, nonprofit and is looking to create an, a new nonprofit, what are what advice would you give them? Um, right. I think that, you know, for anybody who is thinking about creating a nonprofit, the first thing that I would say is um, congratulations for for giving a damn, because what that mm-hmm. probably means is that there is something that you see. There is an issue in your neighborhood or community, something that you're passionate about and you want to see it better or resolved. So congratulations for having that empathy and even seeing something bigger than you. So that's number one. I would also say that before a person even thinks about going into that nonprofit space, though, that they really look at what if there are other organizations that already exist that deal with that problem. Because a lot of times we'll see an issue and we'll people some people think, I'll just create a nonprofit. Well, there may be some other organizations that are already out there that's meeting the need that you feel is important. And it may be an opportunity for you to uh, connect with those organizations, partner with them maybe even volunteer so you can learn about it, learn what organizations are doing, what's working, what's not working, and just get a chance to understand the issue from an organizational level that's already in place. And I think once you get a chance to first take a take a, a chance to learn about it from just a volunteer standpoint, you walk away being more informed about what the issue is, what it takes to resolve it, Um, the resources that it takes, the time that it takes, and then if that's really something that you have the time, the commitment, and the bandwidth to do. So I think that's the first thing that a person should do, number one. Now, if after you do all of that and you're like, oh, man, I still want to do this nonprofit. Okay, great. Then the next step I would say is to really think about how much impact that you realistically can have. So for example, if you see an organization that's been around for 10 years and got 35 staff and yet you're one person, you're not gonna be able to do what they're doing because you don't have the visibility, the resources and the infrastructure. So really start thinking about what it is that you wanna do and then how can you accomplish that realistically? Like how, what do you need to accomplish your goals realistically and creating goals that are realistic? And then I would ask a person to really think about, are you going to go at it alone or is this going to be a partnership? And who are these people who you're going to partner with and have you spoke with them about it to see what their commitment levels are? And then after that, I would just say uh, that a person um, needs to think about the resources that it takes. Like how much money does it take to achieve this goal? So for example, let's say you want to you know, provide, you know, 
you know, senior prom dresses for girls who may be underserved and maybe they can't afford, let's say, dresses. And you want to have a nonprofit that helps young women, you know, feel beautiful and help them get dresses and something that they need to have that special night before they, you know, graduate to become an adult, right? Let's say that's your mission. Then you need to think about how much, how many young girls are you going to realistically try to work with in your first year? Um, how much would it cost for uh, each of these dresses? How are you going to find these girls? And realistically, how are you going to raise the money in order to help these young women? So those are the types of questions you should be asking yourself um, in the beginning so that you can realistically figure out if it's something that makes sense for you. And if on that basic level, you feel like, all right, I can do this. Then I would say the next step is to kind of write out, you know, what your plan is. You, you got to have a plan on what your mission is, why it's a problem and, you know, what your what your solutions are and how you're going to help those solutions. The reason why this is important is for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you really are thinking about being serious about being a nonprofit, meaning you have to submit your paperwork to the IRS. And after you submit it, they ask for the name, they ask for your mission, what your the goal of your organization, just basic information. You pay a small fee and they accept it after about six weeks and they give you an EIN number and then you become officially a 501c3, which is the designation that the IRS gives you. And now you are officially recognized by the federal government that you are a true entity. Um, and so... So those are the steps that that a person would would really take in the beginning. Um, and, and once you do that, you put yourself in a position to really start planning to make your organization be a success. And there's a lot that goes into it being a success. But those are the first step. Again, really thinking about what it is you're trying to do. Thinking about, are there other people out here who do this? And if they are, let me go partner with them and find out about it, what their challenges are, if this is feasible for me. Then if you still want to do it, think about what resources you need. If you're going at it alone, how much money it's going to take. And then finally, go ahead and submit that paperwork to the IRS so you can be officially recognized. Those will be the very first steps that I would recommend a person do um, in, the, in the very beginning if they're thinking about starting a nonprofit. What are some of the um, nonprofit foundations that you like to see more of? Absolutely. Um, so the main goal of nonprofits, how I look at it again, is there are so many opportunities in our communities and there are so many reasons why problems exist. And the main goal of most nonprofits is to help fill that gap so those issues can be smaller and that we can have more equity, uh, more fairness, and you know we can have less problems to live our best possible lives in our best possible communities. That's really what the overall spirit of what nonprofits strive to do, whether it's a mentoring program, um, um, whether it's you know an education program, whether it's you know eliminating HIV AIDS, whatever it is, that's that's the, the you know the the thing. And although there are so many different needs out there in our community, what I would like to see more, uh, emphasis on is uh, financial literacy, and I would like to see more emphasis on uh, tech, um, tech, and um, when I say tech, I mean like technology, the field of technology, information technology, computers, all that sort of thing, engineering, because that's the direction that our world is going in. And when you look at our community, 
many of us are much more getting educated. Um, we are um, moving and shaking in a lot of different um, environments and in a lot of different ways. And it's so good to see. But yet we still have some concerns when you look at our financial uh, realities um, in the country. A lot of people of color still um, have a lot of significant barriers uh, to being financially stable. Um, and then when you look at the tech industry, which is the biggest industry that that we have and that will continue to grow, um, our numbers are not as high as they need to be. And so I really would like to see more emphasis on those two areas. A lot of other things I am passionate about, but I think those two areas in particular are some areas we really need to continue to focus on. Okay. Yeah, I agree. So once you, I know fundraising is a big thing uh, when you're mm -hmm. creating a nonprofit. What are some ways um, that you found are uh, the best ways to fundraise for a nonprofit? Absolutely. The thing about fundraising is, again, you know, thinking about being effective at raising funds, because if you're fundraising, you I've, I've identified that you need the money to go back into the organization. But then you have to think about what is going to make um, a person want to give your organization resources and funds. So the very, very beginning is credibility. Fundraising efforts, it doesn't matter how effective you put together your strategy or, but if you have not established yourself, organization as something that's credible. Um, do, can people find you on social media? Can they see images of what you've done? Can they read about the impact your organization has had um, looking at your website or on your social media page, number one. That helps them say, hmm, this organization is doing some fundraising here. Let me check them out. Okay, they're doing good work. I see them in the newsletters. I see them on social media. Okay, I can believe in this organization. So I think that's that's a very important thing that a person wants to do first is to make sure that your business is in order because people do not want to donate their time and their money to an organization that look flimsy and look unorganized and look shady and look like it's not well put together. Folks want to know that the money that they're given is going to be well utilized and is going to really go toward the intended impact of the nonprofit. So having your image and visibility and your stuff in order is number one. Now, but the thing about fundraising, though, is so many different ways to look at fundraising. You have the traditional fundraisers, which could be something like having a car wash. OK, that's a fundraiser. But that's just one of the many ways that an organization could, you know, raise money, selling T-shirts, selling different items. Fine. However, the biggest way for organizations to make money would actually be applying for grants. And there are organizations out there like foundations, Kellogg Foundation, uh, Ford Foundation, and even smaller foundations that have these grants, which is money that's allocated for initiatives, nonprofit initiatives. And these grants can be as small as $500 and they could be as high as five or $10 million, depending on what they're trying to fund. And what they're looking for is for you to let them know why you deserve this. Let's say the grant is for $10,000. Why you deserve this $10,000? What are you going to do with it? So in your grant, you're answering all of their questions. And if they determine that your information meets their standards, then they will grant you that money and so grants are one of the biggest ways that nonprofits uh, get money through writing grants and the foundation will award you the grant. So that's number one. 
But the, again, the grant is based off of the impact that you've had. The better you write your grant, the better that it reads, the better you answer the questions, then the more likely they're going to look at you and say, you're somebody who we want to fund. But then another thing is sponsorship. So a lot of organizations exist out there. You know, we've heard of sponsorships like, you know, you know, um, Detroit Pistons. I'll use them more. I'll use something like, you know, Home Depot. They oftentimes have money where they will sponsor certain events. So let's say your nonprofit has a, a annual, um, you know, a annual food drive. And they may say, we're willing to sponsor your food drive. So that food drive costs, let's say, $2,000 to put on. We're going to sponsor that one event. And so you have to you know, also apply for those sponsorship dollars as well. You write the organizations and say, hey, we have this event going on, and we'd like for you to sponsor us for $2,000. And with that $2,000, this is what will happen, and this is what you will get. So that's what a sponsorship looks like. But then you have the individual donations you go to people, you and I, and you say, hey, hey, you know, we need you to donate $5 or $25 for our cause or $100. You know, it's the holidays. Will you consider donating to our uh, nonprofit? So those are individual donations that you go after. And then, of course, you have, um, so we have the, the grants, we have the sponsorship, we have the individual donations, and um I think that's it. I think I may be missing one thing, but those are the major uh, ways that people raise uh, funds for their nonprofit initiative. When you're creating, um, going for grants or sponsorships and you're submitting a detailed document, um, like what, what are some, some things that I guess what are some things that will really help you in terms of information that the sponsor or um, the organization given the grant is really uh, one of the key things that you definitely need to have in this document? Absolutely. That's a really good question. The first thing that I would say for anybody who is thinking about applying to a grant, the first thing you want to do is to organize all of your organization's information um, in a very clear way. For example, what is your mission? And you outline what the mission is. Um, how many people do you serve? What is the impact? What is the problem that you're solving? Um, what are the solutions you're trying to go for? Uh, where would you like to see your organization in five and 10 years? How many staff does it take to run your operation? So you really want to outline all of the specifics of what makes your organization run. Um, what is it that you're even trying to solve and how are you going about solving it? So you need to have all of that stuff outlined in general uh, before you even start. But when you go to apply for grants, here is the challenge. Every grant will not always ask the same questions. In fact, usually the questions are very different. So they may similarly have baseline questions about what you do and you know your impact, but oftentimes they'll ask specific questions like, how does this, so let's say you're applying for a grant that is from a healthcare organization. They may ask you, and how will this um, help influence you know, health awareness 
And so you may end up having to think about your response from a health standpoint because the company that you're trying to get money for, they believe in health. So they're trying to hear from you how this whole money you're asking for and how what you're doing applies for a specific area that they are interested in. And so and then if you go to Chick-fil-A, they may have a $10,000 grant you want to apply for, but then they may have specific things they ask you. For example, we applied for a grant once with my nonprofit, the Initiative Baltimore, and they were interested in knowing how many people in your leadership are of color. So they wanted us to talk about the importance of not just having organizations that serve the community, but how many people within your organization actually look like the community that you're serving. Mm -hmm. So they were interested in knowing that information. Then there's another grant that may say, hmm, how many people on your in your organization live in the community that you serve? Um, or how do you partner with other organizations in the community? So different grants may prioritize different things, or they may want to see the people who's receiving their money doing things. And so they will ask those questions. So you do want to have a template of mm -hmm. all of the general questions that you will expect. But one thing you should always know is there will be some questions that you're not prepared to answer that you don't have a uh, a little essay written out for. And you'll have to create a response for those answers. Mm. So writing a grant can be time consuming um, and you definitely have to know how to write in order to express the information in a way that the reader not only can read, but they can see the answer as justifying what they are looking for because they are looking for specific things before they grant you the money because there's other people who are applying for that grant too so you apply for it, but there may be 15 20 or 40 other organizations applying for that exact same grant and how you write those answers will determine if they decide you're a good fit or a good candidate or maybe someone else is a better candidate at this time okay um i was gonna ask do you have any experience with uh, cryptocurrency and how do you see cryptocurrency impacting nonprofits in the future? Well, I think cryptocurrency has already began to um, impact the nonprofit industry from the standpoint of cryptocurrency. It, it's, it's such a cool currency and there's so much to learn about it still and I'm still learning. But one thing I do know is that there are people there are already coins out there or currency out there that's specific for uh nonprofits you know nice. you know there are coins out there that, that have been created specifically for philanthropic purposes and so as they you know raise that money and those coins grow in theory if they do grow because they may not uh those monies will of course be used to fund whatever the the coin owner wants it to fund so nonprofit has already um entered into that cryptocurrency uh space but as that cryptocurrency continues to grow, I do think that nonprofits will continue to grapple with how might we be able to access that whole space. For example, the um the the, the NFTs, the non-fungible. And you know, there's there's this whole conversation about those NFTs, but as people sell items, for example, let's say LeBron James, you know, he may auction his shoes, his his first pair of shoes that he, you know, had made in his name. And, you know, with an NFT, those shoes maybe can auction off for 
let's say twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars, and that money raised could be donated to mm. uh, a nonprofit of his choice. And that's how uh, some people are uh, deciding to donate by uh, using the coins in the nonprofit space to make as much money off selling items and then taking that money that they make and then donate it to nonprofit organizations. Nice. Mm. So in your um, long history of working with nonprofit, what is one of the biggest challenges that you face in when you were starting or, you know, when you're managing a nonprofit? Well, there are so many challenges that a person will will face um, with managing a nonprofit. Because the first thing you got to remember is that you are literally getting into this space because there is a problem. The whole purpose of being in this space is that there is some problem. And what you're working is to uh, resolve that problem in order to have a certain impact. And so at every step of the way, there are going to be problems. And so when you enter into this space, it's important to realize that you are a problem solver. That is what you are here to do. There will be nothing necessarily easy and there will be unpredictable um, realities that come along um, with with being in this space. Uh, But for me, what I have found is, number one, uh, being very clear on the importance of relationships. I think that one of the biggest challenges that a person can face is not understanding the impact and the power of strong relationships. Because regardless of what type of initiative that you're trying to create, you cannot go at it alone. First of all, you have the people that you're trying to serve and they need to feel that you are passionate and honest and that you are somebody who is trustworthy. Second, you have the community who you need to buy in from because the more buy-in you have from them, the more support that you have. Those are individual relationships. But then you have the folks who you want to support you, whether it's through volunteers or whether it's through donor dollars. We talked about grants and or whether it's through board members who each have their own personalities and their own needs. Everybody involved may agree with the end result. We want to solve this problem. But our understanding of how to get there, our understanding of what we need and what's the priority, those are the differences. And so working with all these different people who have an interest, but the way we all understand we need to get to that interest could be very, very different. And so those relationships, managing expectations, staying focused on the mission and the priorities is one of the biggest challenges because I have seen well-intended people fall apart because they cannot get on the same page, whether it's through ego, whether it's through whatever the challenges are, that can be a major challenge. So being focused, being committed on the mission and really having the mindset to be flexible with all of the personalities that you ultimately will work with is an extremely important aspect of being successful um, in this space. And it remains a huge challenge and and it'll always be a huge challenge. But I also think another challenge is just um, just the resources. Usually nonprofits have very big problems that they're trying to resolve, but there is limited money. There's limited people 
who are able to work on it, resources, and organizations may have limited capacity. So you want to do all this, but you may not have the resources to do as much as you really dream. So being able to be realistic, scale your expectations on reality, and being able to operate within that space is, is, a, is a big challenge and one of the biggest opportunities that nonprofits have, especially when you're newer. For organizations that are a little bit more visible, who's been around longer, who has structure, the circumstances may look a little bit different, but for someone who's in that newer space, those are things that they definitely have to be mindful of and cannot lose track. Otherwise, you, you can feel overwhelmed and feel like you know, you're not on the right path. When did you um, get into sharing your um, information or your knowledge on podcast and what inspired you to, to do that? A absolutely. Well, so I about um, very, I'll say over a year ago, uh, over a year and a half ago, I made the decision to develop a podcast called Leadership and Professional Development with Don Gatewood. So that's me. Okay. And the reason why I knew that this was absolutely necessary is because for me, I want to see people win. That has always been my passion. But what I know, though, is sometimes if we don't have the right information about leadership and professional development, we may not be able to accomplish our goals as quickly as we like to, or we may find ourselves running into roadblocks and not understanding what's going on. And so my thought behind that is we're going to deal with things that people need to know. People need to know how to negotiate salaries. People need to know how to conflict resolve at their workplace. People need to know how to manage when they get that first promotion. People need to know how what the signs look like when you may be on the road to being terminated. People need to know all of these different things, how to communicate effectively. There are so many different things that we need you know, effective interviewing, uh, effective resume writing, all of these things go into us achieving our professional and our leadership goals, but we may not always know those details. And graduating high school, going to trade school, going to college may give you certain levels of knowledge and experience, but sometimes they don't always teach you all those different leadership and professional tools you need. And I developed the Leadership and Professional Development Podcast in order to address those issues. Because again, my goal is I wanna see us winning and I wanna see us winning efficiently. I don't want nobody sitting around saying, man, I that was another goal I didn't achieve, all because there was something you didn't realize that you needed to know to be a little bit more effective. So that was my whole thought behind creating it. Okay. Um, this might be a stupid question, but when you do stupid. a nonprofit, do you do taxes? No, that's a really, really good question. <laughs> okay. Um, no, that's a really good question. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Of course, you know, when you are a nonprofit, the whole tax structure is clearly different than a, than a for-profit. It it's a different structure, but there absolutely um, are taxes, and the taxes and the process is different depending on the size of your organization. For an organization that's small and brand new, the tax process is really small and insignificant. It, I mean, you 
put like two or three pieces of information on a form because you're new. You just simply don't have this huge structure. But, you know, as your organization gets bigger, you absolutely do need to do taxes because the government uh, want to just keep track of what where the resources are that you are getting. Um, and they want to know, you know, what people are being paid. They want to know where the money is going, because, again, when you create a nonprofit, you are getting money that's from the if you're getting grants, some of those grants are from the government. You're getting um, you're also getting, um, you know, grants and sponsorship from organizations and you're getting dollars from individual donors. So it's important for you to file your taxes because your people that's supporting you, they want to know that everything you're doing is transparent and it's visible. It ain't no secrets with nonprofit. If you go to GuideStar, every nonprofit, what the CEO makes, how much money they spent, where the money went, it's all public information because it's a nonprofit. There are no secrets there. So you you want to do you want to do your taxes number one because it's just the law. But secondly, it puts your information out in the public, and that helps build trust anyway because there's no secrets. It's all out there. Any nonprofit leader, if you want to know how much they make, you can go to GuideStar and find out every single detail. It's all public information. Like for profit, you uh, pay taxes on the employees. Do you mm -hmm. do that with volunteers in a nonprofit as well? That's a really, really good question. You know, volunteers make up a really vital part of the industry because some organizations just don't have the capacity to hire the full amount of people that they need to get the work done. So volunteers oftentimes come in, they may volunteer for special events and some volunteers actually may come in five days a week and work in a capacity like a full-time employee, except they're not being paid. So there is a way that you do generate um, volunteer hours. There's a particular formula that's out there and you do account for all of your volunteer hours and you do report that because there is a, an amount, an hourly amount that's associated with the volunteer hours and that is kept in your tax record as well. Absolutely. Okay. Sounds like downtown LA over there. <laughs> I, know. I know. We got a lot of activity going on. This, just when I thought we had a smooth night, I wait a minute, there's activity out there. <laughs> Yeah. So you've been in um, D.C. for a while. You uh, have your eyes on other places that you maybe see yourself, you know, living. Well, I love Washington, D.C. I think it's a great city, expensive, but it's a fun city. I love I'm a huge music fan. I'm always at somebody's concert. I'm always at like live music venues. I just recently went to Mary J. Blige concert, going to the SWV concert, and we'll be seeing Ashanti. And so I'm always <laughs> at concerts, local, you know, people who are from the neighborhood. And DC just has so much entertainment all the time. It's amazing how much is here in the city. So because all of my needs are being met in that, you know, my, my social fun space, I see myself here for a while. But I am open to moving. I think there are some dope towns out there. Like, obviously, Atlanta is a place that a lot of people enjoy. You got Houston, Dallas, Charlotte, uh, Vegas. I mean, all of those places are places that sound really cool to me. And I would be open to explore them. Right now, I think I am pretty cool with the D.C. area, though. That's but nice. in 10 years or so, I may reassess my plan and I may end up <laughs> in the South. <laughs> yeah, I, I got my... Um... 
my first, you know, trials of street performing right there in Chinatown. Wow. Yeah. Chinatown looks really different now. now. Really? Yeah, it does because there was a time, gosh, like you go to Chinatown and it was so much momentum moving and shaking the dancers, the energy vibrant next to the metro. Yeah. I feel like though with the pandemic, all of that metro catching and that metro environment is not there. So the energy is not there. When you walk down Chinatown, you don't see that energy the way you used to. I think it'll pick back up now that we're, I guess we're getting back to normal, they say. So I think this summer you'll get more of that energy. But for like, I was down there just a few days ago and it felt very, very different. Like not the Chinatown that you remember, but, but I pray that we're back there in the next month and a half, two months when it gets back warm. I know um, Malik, the drummer, was there. Uh, I know Kenny Sway used to be there uh, doing the street performing thing there. And I know mm-hmm. they passed some type of little law, I think, where you can't use uh, loudspeakers. So mm-hmm. I think uh, some of the energy went away with probably with that as well, I can imagine. Because yeah. I know Malik, the drummer, used to do his thing right there in Chinatown. And I mean, yeah. amazing it, energy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really sensitive topic because, like, there were a lot of issues with the so-called music and how loud it was because right. a lot of these areas that you're talking about, Chinatown, people got condos, apartments, folks paying $800,000, a million dollars to live in those apartments right above the metro right. in a place like Chinatown. So their argument is, it's too much noise. I pay way too much to live here. So right. DC did increase some ordinances, but then there was some pushback in the community. Like for example, by Howard University, it was all this drama about the go-go music and people were complaining, but then the city went back and forth and then they made an ordinance and they rescinded the ordinance and now they're back playing music at a certain level. But I think the thing now is it has to stop at a certain hour. So that, that thing continues to evolve because the city and its members push back on, you know, because these cultural things matter. And when you strip all of it away, it's like the city doesn't have the energy anymore. So they're still trying to work on the balance with those street performers, the music, the outdoor activities. And and I think they're trying to continue to find spaces to make sure that everybody can be happy. That's great. That does add value to everyone. Yes, significant value. (laughs) You cannot get rid of that. That is is significant. Without that, Mm -hmm. I won't be here. So, yeah. yeah. Well, before we get ready to close things out, would you like to share uh, information about projects you got coming up or anything like that with the audience? Well, I appreciate that. First, I want to say thank you all so much for having me here. This conversation has been so amazing. And I appreciate you giving me a chance to even share about the importance of nonprofits. It's my passion. And I just want people to always consider participating in one. Even if you know you don't want to start one, and I don't think that's everybody's mission, but you can support a cause and you can really still make a contribution. Uh, but for me to reach me, um, I'm definitely on all of the social media. I'm at uh, Don Gatewood One on Instagram. That's my name, Don Gatewood One, and that on Instagram. Then I'm on uh, Facebook as well and LinkedIn. You know, Don. You know, Gatewood. Don Brian Gatewood. D O N B R I E N. And then, you know, of course, you know, my, my nonprofit, uh, the initiative Baltimore.com. And so those are all ways that people, you know, can, you know, reach me. But more importantly, just, you know, tuning in to the Leadership and Professional Development Podcast with Don Gatewood. I really do stand by what we go 
um, what our focus is. I want people to win. I want people to get the information they need to be successful in these jobs and make this money. And I think as long as we got the tools and the skills, we can do it. Um, and so that's what I want. I want us to win, period. We appreciate you yeah, coming and really dropping all these gems as well. Positive energy <laughs> is where I've learned thank a you, lot. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. It it's, was very needed. It's funny you mentioned like we need more technology um, nonprofits. And that was one of the things we we kind of played around with a few months ago, just trying to figure out how we would even do it. But I'm a web developer and I'm, I have um, like four other siblings that are in the you know, in development and software development. And, you know, one of the things we're trying to figure out is like how to get more young people involved in mm -hmm. technology space. So that's one yeah, thing we're I, always trying to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, the best thing you can do is just see who's already doing it. Look at what they're doing, seeing their model, volunteering with them. And you may decide that that's sufficient for you. And you may also decide that there's an opportunity for you to add to that space as well. But I always will say, go look at some people who's already doing it and they can really, really help you see what you want to do and what you don't want to do. And I guess since we're here, congratulations, mama. Um, my mother has a, um, a nonprofit in Jackson, Mississippi. Under congratulations. Classical Arts. And Absolutely. And, yeah, she does her thing there. Oh, that's awesome. That's what's up. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, now I'll let her know as well. Hopefully, I don't know if she'll hear the podcast, but yeah, she does acting as well. She's an actor. She got into acting in her 60s and she's been in a couple of movies and things like that. So she kind of tickled with the pod, uh, the nonprofit when she can. And then gotcha. she's doing her. her that's acting. awesome. That That's good to hear. The, I, the more people we got out there that's being mindful of the needs, the better. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been a great, genuine, positive conversation, Don. I really appreciate Wait. your time and consideration. Yeah. Uh -oh. Well, I think I missed you. Say that again. Oh, yeah. It did say internet cut out for a half a second. But um, okay. I think um, I was saying it's been a great, positive, and genuine conversation. And Absolutely. I, I really appreciate your energy and you know just your time and consideration of being on our podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Same as all love, all great energy. And I'm feeling really good uh, after this interview. So thank you all so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you to our listeners as well for listening. And you can find the podcast at americangypsy.com. And you can find consistent self-improvement merch at luamlee.com. And we have music. have music under Classic Carpenter. That's K-L-A-C-C-I-K. Carpenter, C-A-R-B. P-E-N-T-A, and we'll have links below. That's on all major platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music. Um, I think guess that's iTunes, too. Uh, <laughs> YouTube <laughs> and Tidal, yeah, all of the above. Thank you again to everybody. Thank you, Don. Consistent self-improvement to everyone, and peace. peace.